I want to talk to you about the will of God. How many of you have ever read a book about knowing the will of God? Right? And they're, they're usually about so thick. And if you go to the Christian bookstore, you go on christianbooks.com, and you type in knowing the will of God or will of God, I mean, you got a huge selection because it kind of becomes a dilemma, right? Sometimes we're thinking, well, how do I know the will of God? And uh, as I was praying and preparing for the messages for the church, uh, I thought about this passage and the whole idea of knowing the will of God. And, um, and most of the time when you think about the will of God, you're, we're looking for a formula, right? And, and the basic formula as well as you, you read the word and you seek godly counsel. And, and I don't remember the formula so much. And, and I'm not saying there's anything bad about that thing. I just thought, you know, what does God say about knowing the will of God? You know, maybe, maybe, quite possibly, it's not as complicated as 312 pages. And um, so I thought, let's, tonight, let's look. Um, What is it that God has for us? Is the will of God a mystery that we have to diligently seek and hope we don't get wrong? You ever thought about that? Because sometimes people present the will of God, and I remember hearing some preachers sometimes, man, talk about, man, if you miss out on the will of God. And then I had this one guy come to me, he goes, what, what, I, he, he was looking for a wife, and he was like, well, I just need, how do I know this woman is the will of God? And I said, in my sarcastic way, once you marry her, she's the will of God. Right, and so before Vanessa and I were in Hawaii, and um, this guy had been discipling him, he 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 met this girl online, and 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 I'm like, he's come to me, he's Pastor Tim, what do you think? And I'm like, don't do it. So he flies from Hawaii, comes over, and I better be careful because this could go online. He, you know, he goes to this certain state, and he meets this girl, and he gets all infatuated, and and, and short story, like three months later. Without telling me, he comes back with a bride. He's all excited. And, and she was a pretty girl and everything. And, and about a month later, hey, can I meet you for lunch? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I made a horrible mistake. I missed out on the will of God. This, this was a mistake. And I said, now, wait a second. I can tell you that prior to the wedding date, She might not have been the will of God, but you wouldn't listen. But I can tell you now that you made a covenant to God about this woman that she is the will of God. He goes, but I made a mistake. (laughs) And I said, well, God knew that. You see, he was looking for an escape clause. (laughs) Like a lot of us, right? We look for escape clauses in life. But let's look at... At a familiar passage again, what is the will of God? Romans chapter 12, verse number 1 and 2. Now, Romans chapter 12, verse number 1, was one of the first verses that I memorized, and it kind of became a life verse. I love this verse, but it's tied to verse number 2, and I hope I don't spend too much time um, on verse number 1 that I don't get to spend all the time on verse number 2. So if I go a little fast, 
um, be patient with me. And he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Father, I pray that you would just speak through your servant to the hearts of your beloved, And Lord, that we would um, find in you all that we need. And Lord, we thank you that you are so real and that you live in us. And and Lord, let let your life flow from us in a powerful way. Lord, uh, I pray that your spirit would open our understanding. Lord, convict us if we need convicting. And Lord... uh, I pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding again. In Jesus' name, amen. So, verse number one, he starts off and he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. And the word beseech is a powerful English word. And I'm talking about English, a British word that we we don't use very much. But the word beseech... um, has with it like a, a tie to another old word called, that we used to use, implore. And the idea is that of an urgent request that has the basis for an affirmative response. Now, some of the new translations, I think, really miss it. And they'll say, uh, I beg you. But this is the reality. And I don't have time to spend on this part of it. God doesn't beg. But he beseeches. And he comes to us and he tells us that we're to present our bodies to him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. The will of God begins with our presenting ourselves to God. So you say, well, what's the will of God for my life? The will of God begins with you saying, Lord, here am I. Right? You think of the passage in Isaiah where he gets the vision of God, the holiness of God, and he says, here am I, Lord. You see, the will of God for your life isn't so much a destination as it is a person. You see, he's calling you to be in relationship with him. And this idea of unconditional surrender... Uh, might seem very demanding for us, uh, but he's saying, let's here, present your life to me, give your life to me, put yourself at my disposal. We are called to give our lives wholly to God in selfless surrender, but not in a vacuum. You see, He says, I beseech you, the basis of the request is given to us. He's saying the reason you should respond affirmatively are my mercies. Now, I was talking to the young people this morning, and I I might have been sometime even preached on verse number one before, but because I love this verse, he's saying, I beseech you. He says, I've got a request for you, and it's urgent, and there's a reason for you to respond in the affirmative, and the reason for you to respond in the affirmative are my mercies. Right? We all kind of 
all kind of went through that period in our life where we felt like life wasn't fair. And people say that to me, you know, life's not fair. And I always say, you know, you're right. Life isn't fair. And you should be glad. What would happen if you got, I I just, we were, I was coming back from dinner and and I, and there was a highway patrolman going down the Rona Park Expressway. I said, what's that guy doing there? Leave us alone. It's bad enough you're on the freeway. I didn't say that part, but that's what I'm thinking, right? You, it's, you know, Rona Park Police is enough for us, right? Enough eyes. We don't need a highway patrolman going up and down, right? Now, th- but my point is this, right? You ever get pulled over for a ticket? Like he wasn't just doing his job. And you say, just life isn't fair. You're right, life isn't fair, and you should be glad it's not fair. What would happen if you got a ticket for everything you ever did wrong without anyone being there? We'd all be bankrupt. And the state of California wouldn't have a budget crisis. Right? But see, we go through, we think life isn't fair, and I'm like, yeah, and I'm glad. Because there's this thing called mercy, right? If all of us got what we had coming to us, we all would suffer for our sins. We, not only the sins that we committed, we'd suffer the sins that we inherited from our grandfather, Adam. He's saying we were all guilty and we've all done wrong and we've all come short. And he's saying, listen, the beautiful thing about our God, and he's always been this way, is he's a merciful God. He doesn't pour out onto us. He doesn't give us what we got coming. And he says, now listen, when I call you to a life of absolute and unconditional surrender, that may seem completely unreasonable in a vacuum. But it's not. We don't live in a vacuum. We live as a people who have been redeemed and sanctified and set apart to God by his grace alone. And we enter into it through faith alone. And then he pours out his mercy. And God is rich in mercy in his great love for us. And you say, life isn't fair. Amen. Right? Because life throws some curveballs at you. And you might think, well, I didn't want that one. But the reality is, we benefit richly because of the mercies of God. We're called to consider the mercies of God. And God asks us to consider the rich mercies that each one of us have exhaustively partaken of as we consider how we are going to respond to the call of God. I hear people say all the time in regards to their self-indulgent lives, well, I deserve it. Don't we, do, don't we say that? And it doesn't matter what we've got. We deserve, we always deserve what we have decided we deserve. Whether we can afford it or not, right? Well, I deserve it. But the reality is that none of us, not one of us, wants what we deserve. The mercies of God are what keep us from getting what we've got coming. And on that basis alone, he calls us to a life of surrender. 
But friends, this is where we got to get it straight because our view of God gets all distorted because we're sitting there going, well, if I give my whole life to God, then I won't have any fun. But is that your view of God? But do you see, or do you see God as the benevolent Abba who desires only your good? And the reality is, is we're like two-year-olds. We want a lot of things, but we don't know what's good for us, do we? And then that seems to be the challenge. Maybe it doesn't end at two. Sometimes it continues on through life, right? But when you have a little guy, you're going to, I want, I want, I want, want. You don't give them everything they want. Why? Because you want what's good for them. Do you think that your heavenly father is less of a loving father, caring father than you are? And you say, well, he doesn't always give me what I want. And for good reason. But he wants your best. That's who God is. And he's saying, listen, think of the cross. Look at the empty cross where I died, where I took you to die with me and we were and buried and rose again. And look at that cross where I took the wrath, where I took the punishment, where I took all, all the, the sin upon myself so that you could be made the righteousness of God. And look to the cross and then answer how you will respond. How are you going to respond to the call of unconditional or full surrender? In light of what everyone else is doing, it may seem completely unreasonable. But he says, look not to what other people are doing. Look to the cross. Look to the mercies of God. Our lives are a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice sacrifice. When a sacrifice was placed on the altar of God, it ceased to be the possession of the presenter and was sanctified the moment it became, it went on the altar because it became the owner, uh, became God's ownership or he took ownership of that gift. You couldn't go back to the altar and say, okay, I want it back. What he's saying is that he's saying that when we present ourselves to him, we're acknowledging that he's the owner of all things. And it goes back to what we talked about before in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, hey, don't you know? We might not have said it quite like that. But something like that. He said to them, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Now, friends. How would life be different if you lived every moment of every day in the recognition, the awareness that you had been purchased by God? See, most of us are going through life and we're kind of doing our own thing. And... And we do life the way we think we should do it. And we spend money the way we think we want to spend it. And we do this and we go here and we go that. And we fit God. And you're here on a Friday night. So you, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm way above average in this thing. So don't be, you better be nice to me tonight. Right? You say, I'm way above average. You know, I mean, here, I'm showing up on a Friday night. But, but see... So, so it would seem like, wow, wow, you guys are exceptional. And you are. You are. 
But here's the reality. Exceptional if, if you hadn't been purchased. Now, I know, because you're all looking at me like, what's he talking about? See, because we're Americans, and we believe in American exceptionalism, and by that we mean we're better than everybody else. Right? And we believe in independence. And we believe in, and, and we have the, the best country going, so don't misunderstand me. But I'm just saying that sometimes we allow our culture to interfere with the way we interpret or understand the Scripture. And what Paul was saying to the Corinthians, who were at that moment kind of messing things up, living contrary to who God had called them to be, and he says, don't you know that you were bought with a price? He, he says, hey, you need to wake up and realize that you're the temple of the living God. And he's coming to you and me and he's saying, listen, you were bought with a price. Will you consider my mercies and present your bodies to me? A living sacrifice where you live under the reign, under the lordship, under the preeminence of Christ. You see... When we give our lives to God, a living sacrifice, we are surrendering all our rights to him. It is to say, Lord, what do you desire? When you desire it, I am yours. Now, you're all kind of looking at me like I'm some kind of crazed fanatic. But is it what the scripture says or not? Now, if I just came up you down the street and said, man, everything you have and everything you, you got, it's mine. Last night I went to the store after church to get some, get some stuff for breakfast and a few little things. And I'm walking out and someone accosts me. Hey, do you have any change? I need to buy some gas. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> and I, I, I gave her money because I'm a sucker. I'm like, yeah, right. Just tell me. I know what you want this for, so don't tell me you need gas. You don't even have a car. You walked here, right, or whatever. I don't know. But to me, you know, I had every right to say to this person at the Safeway, and next time I'm going to the other one, <laughs> right? I, I, I have every right to say, what? Who are you to be asking me to give up my hard-earned money and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, you're a preacher. How could you have hard-earned money? Which is a point we can discuss later. You think this is easy, huh? Right? So I owe her nothing. She's nothing to me. It's just me deciding whether I feel like a sucker or not. And I give her my two bucks. And, and see... A lot of you know what I'm talking about because people do that. They come and they beg and you, you're kind of like, yeah, well, you know, leave me alone. Or you're scared so you give them something because you don't want them to get mad at you or whatever. And that's how you, that's how you respond to God. See, you're, you're saying God's asking you to present your all to him and you're saying, listen, you know, hey, that's not quite convenient. I got a different plan. And God's saying, let me shake up your paradigm. Let me give you another worldview. Yeah, it's completely unreasonable if I hadn't purchased you with my own blood. 
See, we don't really live like a redemptive people. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. You see, I know that all of you get pressure where you work and where you live to get into the different system and to think, and people are already saying, listen, you're crazy to live like that. And unredeemed, maybe you are. But he's saying, hey, I bought you. I purchased you. You're mine. Your life is not your own. This all flows from our consciousness of his rich mercies and his deep love for us. My life is not my own. It's yours, Lord, to do as you please. My body is a vessel for you to use as you desire, Lord. You see, friends, would you say, Lord, live your life through me. I am simply your vessel for you to do whatever you desire. Our lives surrendered to him is what Romans 12, 1 says is the logical thing to do. The King James translates the Greek word logikos, which you think means logical or reasonable. You see, so what God is saying to us, he's saying through Paul, he's saying, present your body to me on the altar of God, a living sacrifice. He said, listen, present your body to me, a living sacrifice. It's a holy, acceptable sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. So let me ask you this. If it's reasonable for you to give 100% of who you are, all that you are, all of your being, it's, if it's reasonable for you to give all to God... What is it if you give less than all? Right? So see, the Friday night crowd saying, hey, listen, you be nice to me because there was no hot dogs to entice me in here. (laughs) Right? We know who the Baptists are, and they were here on Thursday for the hot dogs. (laughs) Just kidding. Don't get offended. I'm just having a little fun with you, right? I'm not even sure this is a Baptist church because there are seats in the back row that are still empty. <laughs> right? So we're saying, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll give God, I'll give God a day a week or I'll give him two days a week. Or I'll give him a tithe, or I'll give him this. And, 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 and you see, comparing yourselves one to another, you say, well, see, I'm doing good. But, but I would propose to you, friends, that if God calls us to give our all to him, and that's reasonable, that if we give 50% or 25% or even 90%, Whatever you're holding back is unreasonable. 
You see, if you go through and you have this little checklist and evaluation that you judge whether how you're doing, you check it off, check it off, see, I'm doing good. But he's saying, listen, for you and I to live under the reign, the ownership, the the sovereign reign or lordship of Christ is the only reasonable way for us to live. And really, the reality is we just need to be honest with God and honest with ourselves because you can't grow until you're honest with yourself. And some of us need to just say, you know, I absolutely have no intention of being reasonable. At least God can work with you then. Anyways, that was good. When you consider the rich mercies of God, there's only one reasonable response. In America, we think mistakenly that the gospel is all about us and what God is going to do for us and how he's going to make our lives better. In actuality, it's about us in response to his great love and his rich mercies presenting our lives completely to him. It is, in fact, the only reasonable response to his love. It is your spiritual worship. Are you being reasonable with God? You see, friends, we talk about worship, but if you don't surrender yourself to God, you haven't worshiped. If you have not bowed down, and I'm not talking just about your physical presence, but if you have not bowed your spirit, your mind, your will down to God to do what God desires, you're not worshiping. Are you being reasonable with God? Because there's no true worship without surrender. And the foundation to surrender are the mercies of God. And so he's saying, listen, surrender. It's reasonable. And then he goes into verse number two and he says, and be and and be not conformed to this world. So don't be conformed to this world. When the scripture talks about the world, it's referring, I think, to the philosophy of the world, which began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve's choice to live independent from God. The philosophy of the world is to live for yourself. The world is not so much an activity as it is a philosophy of living out of your own resources for your own desires. Living independent of God. The world system is all about self living independent from God uh, to do your own will and purposes. And the world system is trying to press you into its mold. The best way I know how to describe this, when my kids were little, we were living in Thailand. And every once in a while, churches would send us, not very often, but every once in a while, send us a care package. Right? And we'd get these packages at the post office. The kids would all be excited. They'd jazz them. And I remember, I forget, the one time we pulled this thing out and there was a Play-Doh set. Do you guys, do kids still play with Play-Doh? Horrendous stuff. Right? They had... I don't know, six different colors of Play-Doh, you know, came in those these little jar things. And, and it was all soft when it was in the jar. Um, and then they had this little stand. And it kind of a stood there and it had like a spout and had this like ruler thing with different shapes. And you, the kids would slide this thing in there and then they'd put the Play-Doh in there. And then my kids, being what they, the angels that they were, they'd mix the colors 
and then they'd press it through the mold and it would come out in this certain kind of shape. And that's what this scripture is saying not to do. He's saying, be not conformed. Do not allow yourself to be pressed into the mold of the world. Do you see how how subtle it can be? That this idea that life is about me and life is about my preference and life is about my desires and life is about what I like. How easily even in the church of God we can get pressed into the mold of the world. And he says, be not conformed to this world. For the most part, the Western church has been pressed into the mold of the world and feeds the narcissism of our society a watered-down gospel. The way of the world is to follow the path of self-sufficiency. It's all about what you can do and what you can figure out. And religion in the world system is about conforming or controlling behavior. That's the world. It's why we see the church constantly presenting tools for managing the flesh. But while there's a negative imperative not to be conformed to the world, God has a better way. So I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. The negative imperative. But be ye transformed. Do you see what God is? See, this is how we get religion. Religion is about changing the way a man behaves. Changing the outward appearance. Moving the person from the evil side of the tree to the good side of the tree. But God has a completely different way and it begins with giving him a new nature. And he plants his own life within us and he says, be ye transformed. It begins inside and changes the way we live, but it begins in the inward man. And be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can change a person's behavior to some extent through flesh management and never change the heart. That was the heart of Jesus' contention with the Pharisees. And Jesus went right to the heart issue with them. He wants to transform your whole way of living from independence to a man-centered way to a life of complete dependency upon his indwelling life. We experience transformation when we renew our mind be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? It means reminding yourself of what is true. You see, we live in a life that life that barrages our senses with all kinds of misinformation. And if you don't live in the truth, and you don't hear it and remind yourself of it, you'll never experience it. I was talking, I think the pastor and I were talking at lunch today, and I was talking, telling a story about this preacher friend of mine, and and he he used to love to froth at the mouth and, and tell people what dirty, no good sinners they were. 
It was a point of excitement for him. And and he would say, you no good, lousy sinners. All you are is a no good, lousy sinner saved by grace. So this would, you know, this was, it had to fit in one of the three messages during every week. And then, and I was just kind of in and out. And I'm like, you know, come on. Then one Sunday, they had church business. They were disciplining a sinner. Someone had messed up, called him before the church, and disciplined him. Afterwards, I went to him. And I said, I don't get it. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't get it. Every week, at least that I'm here, you tell them they're no good, lousy sinners. Then, when they do what you told them they were, you get mad at them. Is that what you are? Is a no good, lousy sinner? And sin is all that will ever be normal with you. But what does Jesus, what, what does he do? He transforms us. And this, Paul, in all of his epistles, always refers to the believer as a saint. Even when they were sinning. Why? Because they were those who had been sanctified. They had been set apart. They had been placed on the... They may not have lived like it. They might have lived like freaks of nature. But that's why he said to the Corinthians, Don't you know who you are? He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants to transform your whole way of living independent to complete dependence upon his indwelling life by simply reminding ourselves what is true. It is why when, the, when Pastor Smith is teaching you on Sundays and on Wednesday night, you need to take the truth and you need to, to meditate on those truths throughout the week and to read the scripture on your own during the week and take a nugget of truth and remind yourself of what's true because you're going to get a lot of messages during the week if you're not careful that are going to give you lies and if you take that lie and take ownership of the lie then you're going to live out the lie Paul told the church he says bring every thought into captivity to the conformity of Christ because not every thought you have is yours not every thought you have is truth he says bring it Captivate it and renew your mind with truth. If we believe a lie about ourselves, we'll live a lie. And it's why Jesus told his disciples, he said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And that's why you need to see yourself as a saint. He said to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you or ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So the will of God isn't something we go searching for, but the result of a life surrendered to him. You see, the will of God isn't a mystery, and it's not so much a destination. It's a life of surrender. People tell, have asked me, like, well, how do I know I should go here or there? And I said, you know, I don't know. 
Are you surrendered? I mean, will you go wherever God wants you to go? Because if you're surrendered, God can always get you where he wants you to be. You know, people used to ask me, well, how do you know you were called to go to Vietnam? I said, I didn't know. I just was surrendered, and God took me to Vietnam. And I was surrendered, and God took me out of Vietnam. I didn't want to go. I liked living in Vietnam. You say, you liked living there? Honestly, I did. I loved the chaos. Now, my wife didn't like it so much, but I liked it. I never worried about communists and eavesdropping. I, I never worried about it. Even when I go back now, I don't worry about it. Never bothered me. Love the food. Lots of garlic. You know, Pastor Smith, he was called the Roner Park, right? This side of the freeway, because the other side of the freeway has a lot of garlic on it. <laughs> you, you, you know, I mean, I love all that stuff. No problem for me. But you see what I'm trying to get you to? Is you can see someone saying, well, should I live here or should I live there? And how do I know the will of God? And How do you prove what is that good, perfect will of God? Surrender. Come to the place where you say, Lord, what you desire is my desire. Where you want me to be, that's where I want to be. And just, you may not even know where it is. Even Abraham, as we looked at, didn't know. But did God get him where he wanted him to be? Absolutely. You see, friends, as we experience the transforming life by reminding ourselves what is true of us in Christ, the will of God will be our experience because the will of God is our life surrendered to the person of Jesus Christ. God's will is you living in and out of relationship with him. The will of God for you is Jesus. He will reveal his will to us as we allow him to live and express or to manifest his life through us. You see, you hear me say it all the time, but I I love this. It's kind of my mantra. Jesus died for us so that he could live in us, that he might live and express his life through us. It explains the good news to me. He died so he could live here. But not just so he could live here, but so that he could live through me, that we could be restored to our created purpose in the garden, to walk in perfect fellowship as the stewards of God. The will of God is expressed through a surrendered life. If we continue to live from the tree of knowledge, we'll think the will of God is a process of the intellect. And that's why I kind of was talking about the books. How do we know the will of God? And here's $300, 300 pages and, tw- and what, $20 now? There are, I was going to say $12, but there aren't any more $12 books anymore, are they? Unless you get them on your Kindle. All right? And Kindles are great, except for you can't highlight them so easy. But is that what we need? Because when you think about it, if it's a process of the intellect, What tree are you eating out of? The knowledge of good and evil. What tree were you called to freely eat from? The tree of life. Where you live from the indwelling life of God. Romans 1.10 says, Making requests 
If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul had a desire to go to Rome and impart the grace of God to them, but he lived surrendered to whatever God wanted to do in and through him. We need to see God's will as our best. Paul was willing to submit himself and his desires to what God desired to do through him. Romans fifteen thirty two that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may with you be refreshed. Are you willing to surrender all of your plans to Christ? And not make things happen, but simply allow him to bring about all he desires for your life. God's will, God's will is that we live consistent with our new nature. That we allow him to manifest and express himself through us. Part of the renewing of our mind is that we remember what is natural for us. Now, have I, guys, have I ever told you guys... Uh, about my dog. Have I ever told you about this? Because I don't know. It's, I, have the, I, have the, I have the best dog. Someone, we, we moved into this new neighborhood and someone threw her over the fence and I saw her running up and down the street. Just this, she weighs, she's fat now. Because she weighs about 10 pounds, 11 pounds maybe. She was running up in the stairs, and, and I, my daughter, she was working me. You know how daughters work their dads. Dad, if you, if you take that dog to the pound, they'll kill it. The blood will be on your hands. So now the dog lives at our house, <laughs> you know. But it's just this little thing. And, and, um, but the thing about little dogs that are really annoying is they bark. So I would just get all frustrated, you know, and, and I'd say, and my daughter, my chef daughter named this dog Kizzy, which is Hebrew for cinnamon tree. Why? Because she's an artist. It's a different message. So Kizzy barked, and I would say, well, what are you barking for? Quit your yapping! And the more I said that to her, the more she, yeah, because the nature of a dog is to bark. Now, my wife, wanting to keep the dog in my sanity, trained the dog to live contrary to its nature with a water bottle. No, I'm serious. This works. I don't know where she read, probably got it on the Internet, where all truth exists. But she got this little water bottle, and every time the dog would start to bark, she'd spray water into its face. And that dog did not like that. And after a while, she'd stop barking. And then all you had to do was bring the water bottle out. You see, my dog did not experience a transformation. My dog learned to manage its flesh, if you will, the same way a lot of religious people do. It restrains itself. So now it doesn't even bark. And this dog is small, so it sits on the back of the couch. If we are gone, it sits on the back of the couch like a cat waiting for us to come home. No matter how long you're gone from the house, it's always excited. 
Now, this is my dog. But what if I came home one day and my dog saw us and went, meow. Now, I know it's the size of a small cat, but we'd all go, whoa, ho, ho. Something's wrong here. We'd say, you've got a dog with a confused identity. It's a dog, but it thinks it's a cat. And I would propose to you that's kind of where a lot of Christians are. Is they think that they're sinners... And they're trying to act like saints instead of letting God transform their complete nature. And so, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect, or the good, maybe I got it wrong, acceptable will of God. You see, God's will is that you live out what he says is true through transformed nature. And he made you a saint. You may not always act like one. You may not always feel like one. But a saint you are because you were bought with price. So really, the the issue for us tonight is, one, are we willing to be reasonable? Are we willing to be reasonable? Right? And what is reasonable? the absolute, unconditional surrender of our whole being to what God wants, to what he wants to do in us and through us. And if we're not, that's okay. But don't lie about it. Don't deceive yourself. Just say, you know, I'm not there where I'm willing to surrender unconditionally. But we need to think unconditional surrender means, Lord, what you want, I want. Where you want to take me, I'll go. What you want to give through me, I'll give. You see, right, we're just trying to convince people that giving a tithe is reasonable. But what if God came to you, the one he purchased with his blood, and he said, you know, I want you to learn to live, you to learn to live on 10% and give 90 Now, go figure, a preacher comes up with that one, right? Would you do it? See, the rest of us are going, wow, tithe is starting to seem reasonable now. (laughs) And I'm not saying that God wants you to live on 10 and give 90. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying... He might. And what I'm saying is we got to come to the place where if he wants to do this through me, that I'm willing to be his 
surrendered sacrifice. And that may mean I don't get to do or buy certain things that I wanted to do, but I was bought with a price. And if I know God the way I think I know God, I'll still do a whole lot more than I thought. So are you willing to be reasonable? Are you willing to present your body a living sacrifice? Are you willing to let him transform you by reminding yourself what's true of you in him? Father, I thank you so much for these dear folks, and I pray, Lord, that you would just have your way and... Lord, we would uh, let you tear down all of these walls that we build up and these ways of evaluating ourselves and comparing ourselves one to another instead of simply surrendering our alls to you on the altar. Lord, let us be a people who remember that we have been bought with a price to live under your reign your good and holy, righteous reign over our lives, and to confess that you desire only that which is good for us and your kingdom. Where you want us to go, Lord, take us. We surrender. What you desire to give through us, we give as your agents and stewards. Lord, our heart's desire is to experience In life, everything that you say is true of us. Transform us, Lord Jesus. And let us resist every pull on the world to press us into its mold. In Jesus' name we pray.